In preparation for celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation on October 29th, we continue our study of the six chief parts of Luther's small catechism. So far, we have reviewed the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Sacrament of Baptism. Today, we study the Office of the Keys, more commonly known as the Confession and Absolution. What is the Office of the Keys? It is more commonly known as the Confession and Absolution and consists of two parts. First, that we confess our sins. Second, that we receive absolution or forgiveness from a pastor as from God himself. We are never to doubt but firmly believe that our sins are forgiven before our Heavenly Father. Jesus instituted the confession and absolution in the upper room on the evening of Easter, as recorded by St. John. Jesus appeared to his disciples to empower them to be his apostles to the world. He greeted them and immediately gave them the keys of heaven with these words, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Luther's 95 thesis begins, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Repentance is a turning away from self to Jesus. In him is life and light. In him is salvation and forgiveness. In him is eternal life. We are his through our baptism, and this is true every day. May God richly bless our worship study of the Office of the Keys. Luther instructs us that we are to examine ourselves in the light of the Ten Commandments, whether we are father, mother, son, daughter, employer, or employee. Then before God, we should acknowledge ourselves guilty of all kinds of sins, even those which we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, let us confess our sin to God, our merciful Father. Most merciful God, we lower our heads before you. We admit and confess our sins, both known and unknown. We have not always walked in your ways according to your law. We have willfully misused your gifts of creation. We have seen the mistreatment of others and have not gone to their aid. At times we have been disobedient, lazy, angry, or quarrelsome, and have offended others by our words or deeds. We have heard the good news of Christ, but have failed to share it with others. We repent and are truly sorry for our sins. Have mercy on us, gracious God because of the redemption won for us by Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgive us all that needs the forgiveness found in Him alone. By the power of the Holy Spirit, move us to live our lives according to Your will. Direct us to serve You faithfully all the days of our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our sins have earned the penalty of death, but the Son of God give up all things for us. Jesus paid that price for us through His death on the cross. Our forgiveness is a free gift. This is true for us every moment of every day of our life because of God's promise in our baptism. 
Our life in Christ reflects this truth. We are forgiven in Christ. And so by the authority which Jesus our Lord gave to the church to forgive sins, and in His name, I joyfully declare the entire forgiveness of all of our sins. This, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The introduction to today. A major aspect of contention that sparked the Protestant Reformation was the insistence upon private confession. Rather than it be a voluntary action which a person has an opportunity to repent openly and hear a comforting word of God's grace, confession had become a coerced and fear-inducing. There was no relief in it. Martin Luther felt so strongly about the gift of forgiveness that he sought to reform the practice of confession of sins. His pastoral heart wanted every Christian to feel and to embrace the alleviation of their guilt, shame, and sin so that they might know the loving God He at last found in the Scriptures and the sacraments. Luther wrote in the large catechisms his concerns about enumerating every single sin, citing, No one was able to confess purely enough. Not only that, but believers had no understanding of the purpose of confession. No one taught or understood what confession is and how useful and comforting it is. Instead, it was made sheer anguish and hellish torture because people had to make confession even though nothing was more hateful to them. One change that was made was to no longer insist upon the listing of every single sin a person could name. Instead, it is enough to confess that we have done wrong and failed to do things we ought to have done. Then, the response to such heartfelt confession is to hear a word of grace, as if from God Himself. This word can come from a pastor or from a brother and sister in Christ. Like baptism and Holy Communion, Luther called confession a precious treasure. To hear this word of forgiveness is the deepest comfort we can receive, and it is given freely by the God who loves us. Further, we are to accept this word of grace with all of our heart, trusting in God's goodness and mercy when He offers it to us. Let us hear God's word today as it relates to the office of the keys. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and yet the Israelites continued to worship false gods and idols. God commanded them to turn away from their stubborn, evil ways and to return to the Lord your God. The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah, the third chapter. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. 
I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you from, from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus asked his followers, who do you say I am? The the quintessential question for followers of Christ is to know exactly who he is. Only when we know the source of grace and mercy, we can experience the true gift of forgiveness. After Peter's confession that Jesus is the one and only Messiah, Jesus informed his disciples that he would build the church on a rock-solid foundation and that whatever the church bound on earth would be bound and whatever was loosed or forgiven would be loosed. The second reading is from Matthew, the 16th chapter. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Even in the very last moments of his life, Jesus was offering forgiveness of sin and restoration of relationships to those who sought it as well as those who didn't. Though he was dying an anguishing death on a Roman torture instrument, When the thief beside him asked to be remembered, Jesus proclaimed that today he would be with him in paradise. Then he prayed to know his, he prayed to his father in heaven, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. The third reading is from Luke, the 23rd chapter. As they led Jesus away, they seized one of Simon, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. 
And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, so let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. This next reading is from the first John chapter one. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here ends the reading. Um, We're going to continue now with the monologue. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a confessional booth. But there was a time in my life when I spent a good part of every day in one. Sometimes up to six hours. Well, I had a lot to confess. I believed at the time that to be forgiven, sins must be confessed. And to be confessed, they must be recognized and remembered. And if they're not remembered and recognized, they cannot be confessed. And if they're not confessed, they cannot be forgiven. The horror The horror of this recurring nightmare made my spirit very sick with fear. For as soon as I left the confessional booth, another sin would come to mind that I had not confessed. You know, some have wondered if my obsession with my sins was due to true, authentic religious struggle or whether I suffered from some gastrointestinal problem. And to be honest, I'm not sure. But I do know that my confessors, those pastors who listened to my confessions, quickly tired of my lengthy daily visits to the confessional. In fact, one pastor, exasperated after hours of listening, to the enumerated details of my sins, said to me, Look here, Luther, if you expect Christ to forgive you, come in here with something to forgive. 
like murder, blasphemy, or adultery instead of all these little tiny misdemeanors. He reminded me that it's not in the enumeration of many sins that one is forgiven, but in turning one's whole life over to God. When one has smallpox, he taught me the doctor does not need to probe each boil to diagnose the disease, nor it is cured by scab by scab. The graphic point being that one does not need to name every sin in order to be forgiven. The gospel of Christ has opened my eyes to see that what we stand in a state of grace and that one is forgiven not by the completeness of one's confession, by the complete, but by the complete atoning sacrifice of Christ. And yet confession, yes, even private confession, has a place in the Christian's life. It gives the opportunity for the troubled spirit to be comforted by the word of Christ's promise. Absolution is the spoken gospel. We technically do not call it a sacrament because there is no visible element. But it has all the other makings of a sacrament. God commands it and God grants forgiveness through it. It is the word of God itself. So when the pastor declares the congregation forgiven, it is God himself speaking absolution. When we confess our sins, there are three ways we can do it. All three are useful for the unburdening of our conscience. When we speak our angst to God alone, to the pastor alone, or of our neighbor alone, we can be confident that our confession has been heard and received and is included in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Indeed, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're making a confession of sin and seeking forgiveness and a joyful conscience. Now, confession has two parts. The first is that we acknowledge the sins we know and those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. In confessing sin, one should consider their vocation and station in life and reflect on their duties as either father, mother, student, or worker. The Ten Commandments reveal sin, and we should examine our lives in light of God's commands. In private confession to a pastor, we should confess sins that are particularly troubling. Also, there are times when an issue vexes us so terribly that it eats away at us until we have no peace and no faith left to keep us strong. Then we go ahead to a trusted brother or sister in the faith and lay our troubles before them. In this way, Christ has given absolution to us through the mouths of those in a Christian community. We are commanded to hear and absolve of one another's sins. 
The other part of confession is to receive forgiveness. This forgiveness should not be doubted, but it is to be received as if from the mouth of Christ himself. For it is not the voice of the hearer who speaks absolution, but the one who calls us to repentance, who forgives sin. Whenever we hear words of forgiveness, the Christian's heart rejoices, for they are reminded again for the saving power of Christ who saves us through his saving word. Absolution gives what it promises, forgiveness of sins. I have learned not to make confessions such a torture And I have also learned to find great comfort and strength in confession and forgiveness. And each of you should too. My friends, when we hear the words, your sins are forgiven, this is God speaking. And when he speaks, we know that this is most certainly true. Amen.